Thank you for listening in to the King's Chapel podcast. We hope this message is a blessing to you. Please stay tuned after the message for more information about King's Chapel. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. We have been in Matthew uh, 24 and 25 for the past few weeks in what is known as the Olivet Discourse. So Jesus is with his disciples. Uh, They're um, on or near and around the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and he has been uh, giving them some teaching and giving them some explanation and giving them some answers to questions that they have had. Last week, uh, Pastor Matt covered um, the answer to, uh, to one of those questions that Jesus provided, and um, the question was, uh, when are you going to return? Jesus, when are you going to return? When is your, uh, you and your kingdom uh, essentially going to have its full effect? And so the first part of that answer that Jesus gave to his disciples essentially was, no one knows when I'm coming back. The angels don't know. I don't know. Only the Father knows, but be prepared. So the crux of last week's answer and message was be prepared for Jesus' return. And then Jesus is going to get into uh, sort of a second answer, the, the other side of that answer in this passage, um, the parable of the talents with us this morning. Um, but if we can pull up that next slide, Buzz. So, um, so the question that was asked here in Matthew uh, 24, verse 3 Uh, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, came to Jesus privately, and they said, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So he's already answered, um, when will these things be? These things being, when will the temple be destroyed? Because Jesus tells them that the temple is going to be destroyed. So he's answered that for them. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus, uh, the passages we're in, he's answering this question. When will be the end of the age? His first answer was, I don't know. I can't tell you. But be prepared for it. Have anticipation that it's going to happen because it will happen. The truth is, it will happen. Um, so we went, through, we went through those. If we can move on to the next slide here, Buzz. So what Jesus does is he gives us some applications, some applicable truth in these teachings. Um, in, in chapter 24, 36 through 44, he gives a teaching on no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, no one knows except for the Father. And then to parallel that, Jesus not only teaches this, but then he, he gives a parable in the first part of chapter 25 about the same topic, that no one knows the day or the hour. It was a parable of the ten virgins. No one knows, just be ready. Um, if you're ready, it's going to be great and awesome. If you're not ready, it's going to be terrible. Um, and then moving on, in, um, in chapter 24, uh, verses 45 through 51, he gives a teaching on accountability at the future judgment, and then he parallels that in chapter 25 with a parable on accountability of the final judgment, which that parable in uh, 14 through 30 is the parable of the talents. So Jesus is giving his discourse and providing um, some 
sometimes some vague answers, some open-ended uh, answers and questions, but also he gives, he gives us some specifics as well. So what we're going to do, we're going to dive in here um, for this week, and really kind of the, the main theme, the main topic, the main thought out of the parable of the talents is, is be productive. If last week's uh, sermon had a title of be prepared, this week's is be productive. Be productive with the gospel. Be productive with and in the kingdom. So let's read together uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. Matthew 24, 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that pla- in that, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what we're going to see here in this teaching and in the parable of the talents is very similar um, to other parables that Jesus will use. He uses essentially kind of three basic, three basic themes as he moves through, through these parables. One is that the master in this parable will assign a task. He will assign a duty, and then he leaves. Secondly, there is the servant's response. What are the servants going to do with the task that was assigned to them? And then thirdly, there will be the results. What are going to be the results? So what we're going to see here um, in, this, in this story, in this teaching, uh, the, master's, the master is doing that. He hands over his property to his servants, and then he leaves, and their response, is, as we're going to see, is the faithful and wise are obedient. The wicked are disobedient. The one who is labeled wicked is disobedient. And then what, uh, how we, what we know about them is the faithful and wise, when the master returns, they are found doing what the master had commanded. The wicked are found doing whatever pleased himself or herself, not expecting the master to return, or at least to return on a timeline that they think he's going to return. And then the results... Uh, we see in here the faithful and wise, they get commended, good job, they are given more authority, and they get to stay in the master's household. The wicked are reprimanded, and they are separated from the master's household. So it's a, it's a, very, a very simple teaching that he walks through, and again, remember, this is in context of Jesus when when are you going to return, when is the end of the age, and when is your kingdom going to be established? And he, and he says, be prepared and be productive. Be busy about doing the work of my household. So it's within that context that Jesus gives us this teaching. And he gives this teaching of a master is going to give you something. He's going to go away. He's going to return and see what you've done with it. And he's either going to reward you or punish you. That's the, the basics of the first story he tells. Then we move on into Matthew chapter 25 into the parable of the talents. So verses 14 through 30, let's read this together. 
For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents, he made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him and said, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we can see again here in the parable of talents that Jesus uses that same thematic scheme of the master gives a task to his servants, take care of my money, take care of my possessions, and then he leaves. And the servants are found either faithful or wicked. They're either productive or unproductive with the master's money. Those who are productive are labeled the faithful. They are found to have been profitable with the master's money and the wicked are unproductive. They have neither lost nor gained any of his money. The results that we see at the end of this parable, the faithful are commended, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. They're given more authority. You've been faithful with a little, I'm gonna set you over much. And they get to stay with the master. The wicked, however, they are reprimanded, uh, the one individual in this parable. His, his responsibilities are taken away, and he is separated from the master's household. A couple of notes uh, with things going on within this parable uh, before we move forward. One, we should not necessarily contrive deep-rooted and deep-seated uh, theology from parables. Parables are stories that are used to communicate theological truth. So while we can pull theology out of parables, we shouldn't, and as Pastor Matt warned us last week, we shouldn't dive too deeply into the spiral that is study of parables. We shouldn't look at each, each little thing within a parable and try to say, what does that mean? What does that mean? This little thing, this little action must mean something. We shouldn't do that. However, we should be aware of the overall scheme, the overall theme, and the overall message of what is being communicated 
within a parable. And so what Jesus is doing in this story, as with, as with other parables, the master almost always represents God, or in some cases, Jesus himself, the king. Servants are those whom, who, are, who are in that kingdom, who are in that household, who belong to that master. And then their actions, um, whether positive or negative, and then the outcome, the outcome of those which Jesus uh, does so masterfully in here. Um, I will touch on this a little bit later too, but uh, in case some of you are wondering right now, what is the deal with, uh, with the guy who buried, his, who buried his money, gave it back, and then his punishment was being cast into outer darkness and then the weeping and gnashing of teeth. One interesting thing with that, that, uh, that two-word phrase, outer darkness, I wanted to look this up because I've always been a little bit perplexed um, at the significance of the punishment that this guy receives um, or you know, that other individuals may receive. That term means exactly how it sounds. It is a, it is a place or, or a region or a location where there is no light and... Uh, you are separated from the presence of righteousness and it's a place where evil spirits dwell, where they abide, where they live. Now, this may necessarily not be hell, but it also could be hell. But it is a place that is completely separated from God. And so Jesus is using not only that phrase, because when, when he uses that phrase, it's an idiom that is alive in, in, in first century Israel. When he uses that phrase, his listeners are going to know exactly what he's talking about. They're going to conjure up an image in their mind of what that place looks like and what it feels like. And then the weeping of gnashing of teeth, um, that's more, uh, more so thought of just as a phrase of meaning great anguish, great pain, uh, great anger, just everything deprived of, of joy and life and hope and righteousness. So it's, it's very serious. Jesus is sharing this teaching in this parable, and it's, cri- it's quite striking. Quite striking. He's saying, you either have joy and you get to stay with me, or you get anguish and separation from me. But what, what must we do in order to receive either that reward or that punishment? That's the question. And so what I, um, I want to ask you this morning, and what, what I want you to ask yourselves this morning, um, is really a couple of things. One, do you believe Jesus is coming back? I think, mo- I think most of us in this room do. Um, even if we're believers or not, even if we're following Jesus or not, I think we've, uh, most of us in, in our American culture have at least heard about Jesus and have heard about the basic, uh, he, born of, a virgin, born of a virgin, he died on a cross, he went back to heaven. Um, I've, I've heard the stories, I've seen this, we kind of have this concept of the, the major pillars of the, of the Christian faith and, the, and belief. But really, if you believe he's coming, when do you believe he's coming? Is it now? What if you knew? What if I could tell you at 3 p.m. this afternoon, you knew Jesus was coming back? Just think through the implications of that. Don't drift away too far because I want you to continue to listen. But just think. If you knew at 3 p.m. this afternoon Jesus was coming back, how would that change what you do this afternoon? What would you do differently besides going out to eat lunch, maybe have a nap, Maybe continue on the housework as, as I've been doing, as we've been doing this weekend, hanging that sheetrock in the bathroom. I wouldn't be hanging sheetrock in the bathroom if I knew Jesus was coming back at 3 o'clock. 
But honestly, if you had the urgency and you knew he was coming back at three, what would you do? Who would you be with? Who would you be calling? Now, I'm not saying that to try to guilt you into any street evangelism this afternoon or anything like that. It's just just a, a thought to walk away with. Do you have any kind of urgency in your belief that he's going to return? Or, like, like the guy in, in the first story and in the, in the parable of the talents, are you saying to yourself, my master is delayed? doesn't matter what I do. I'll associate myself with, with whomever. I mean, I'm, my God is loving and gracious and, and kind, and, and he's given me second chances and third chances and fourth chances, and, and, and that's all there is to it. One thing you'll notice in this story and in this parable with the one uh, who buried his talent, it's not as much as his action. Well, his action was the thing that, that cost him his punishment. It's also his attitude. It's interesting that he says, I knew you to be a harsh man, and I was afraid. How many of you have been there before? Maybe you've been in a church like that before. You've, you, maybe you come from a denomination where their main, their main line of thinking is that not only is God a God of grace, but he's a God that can crush you. He can. But he's a God that if I, if I slip up, if I mess up, if I make a mistake, I, he's, he is harsh and I'm going to receive punishment. God is a God of grace and he, he forgives and he forgives and he's gracious and he loves us just like we do with our kids. When our kids make a mistake, we don't kick them out of the house and say, all right, go find a new family. You're on your own. And if your parents did that to you, that was unholy, ungodly, and they will have an account uh, to give to God for that. But there's a very, very underlying character issue too with this guy in that he says, I knew you to be a harsh man and I was afraid, so I didn't want to take any risk. I didn't want to lose what you gave me, but I didn't also want to share and give and try to multiply and spread what you gave me. And it's interesting, at least me, I don't know about you, but me, I'm thinking, man, if I was the master and I came back and like I got back what I gave to him, you know, it's not in better condition, but he didn't lose it. He didn't break it. He didn't destroy it. He didn't just give it away. But I'm getting back what I got. I'm, have, have, have a little kindness here, Lord. But really, it, it's more about, about that heart issue. While yes, God in his truth and in his justice will punish sin, he at nature, he is love. He doesn't just have it, he doesn't just display it, but he is love. So just some, some little nuggets, uh, little nuggets to think about there um, as we progress. So what is, what's the main point here? What's Jesus trying to communicate in, this in the first story and in this parable? The main principle is this. God entrusts his kingdom to us, to those who believe, and expects us to care for it the same way he does. He rewards those who do, who do that, and he punishes those who do not. So this second part, God expects us to care for his kingdom the same way that he does. How do I know that, Travis? Why are you saying that? Where does that come from? Both in that first story and in the parable, the master 
um, of the parable. He gives what he has to his servants and he leaves. And, and when he comes back, why is he rewarding and punishing based on their, their actions and or their heart attitudes? One interesting thing to think about is the servants know their master and the ones who are faithful and good, they're the ones who do with the kingdom what they know, what they know their master does with his kingdom. I'll say that one more time. The servants know their master, and because their master said, hey, here is my kingdom, here is my money, here, is, here are my possessions, they know what he does with them because they've watched him, they've seen him, they've spent time with him, they know what he's doing with his stuff. So they're saying, you know what, because I want to please my master and because I love my master and this house so much, I'm going to do what he does with his stuff. Because I know that's what he does and I know that's what he would want me to do. And then we see the other side with the wicked servant who doesn't. He doesn't understand his master, he doesn't understand the master's possessions, and he doesn't, he, he doesn't even believe his master. He doesn't even think his master's coming back in his lifetime. So Jesus is just trying to, he's, that's what he's communicating, that principle. That God is entrusting to you and me the kingdom. So I want to ask you a question. If we can back up one, Buzz. Or maybe I took it out of there. It's right there. What a pro. I love you, Mr. Jacobson. We will back up to that first point after I read this, but it's on my mind, so here we go. So here's my question to you. God has entrusted you with the gospel. God has entrusted me with the gospel and the kingdom. Have you been sharing the gospel? Have you been making disciples? It's these two things, not only these, but these two things are what God is expecting us to do. Our, God's expectations for us is to do with the gospel what, what Jesus did with the gospel. Now this parable, as I'm sure if you've been around church very much or if you surf around on YouTube and you get stuck in that YouTube, that YouTube tunnel and vortex and you just can't get out and you come across sermons and stuff, um, most likely you've, you've heard the context of this sermon preached with here's some financial principles, here's how to invest, here's how to manage your wealth, here's how to... You, you know, we can make other applications with this. Now, this parable, while it does talk about money, Jesus isn't exclusively saying, okay, the end is coming, here's how, the only thing I want you to do is handle your money well. It can apply to how we handle our finances. It also can apply to how we treat our spouse, how we raise our kids, how we, how we work with coworkers at our place of employment, how we treat strangers when we're in the parking lot at Walmart. We have some funny stories. Oh, I'm sure you do too. Someone, someone needs to start a Facebook page of Walmart parking lot stories. Um, I'm just saying, it'll blow up. Maybe a YouTube channel or something. And I got sidetracked. So look, have you been sharing the gospel? Have you been making disciples? God, God has entrusted us with that. So when he comes and, and our rewards get dealt out, it's going to be based on these. And we don't have excuse. I know for me, for quite a while, for, for several years, um, God, God has called me to preach. He did that through 
certain events and circumstances and throughout a few different years he's called me to preach. And so I had it in my mind that the only way that I was doing God any good is if I had a stage and a microphone and if I could share his word and encourage his church. Now while that is true that, that, that God has called me to that, that's not the only way, that's not the only thing God is going to, to ask me and to hold me accountable to. He's going to say, how, how were you sharing the gospel with your family, Travis? How are you sharing your gospel at work? Now for me, I work uh, at the Assemblies of God National Office with the Center for Holy Lands Studies. And so I, day in and day out, I'm working with and for other Christians. It's very rarely and very seldom that I am either around or have a conversation with someone who does not know and believe and follow Jesus. So I, one thing I could do is say, well, God, I never had opportunity to, to share the gospel. I never had opportunity to make decisions. Look at my job. I went, I went to work. I went to church. And I was at home hanging sheetrock all the time. And that's not necessarily going to cut it. We can look for opportunities to do those things. We can make opportunities happen. And so for me, one application to that, when I, so looking at my life and work situation and circumstances, I'm not going to reach anyone new for the gospel. I can help, I can help disciple people. I can help people grow in, in their faith and in their knowledge of God, and I can help get them to the Holy Land so they can experience God in Israel. I can do all that, and it's great and amazing, and I love doing it. However, um, I also will be held into account what I've done with the gospel with those who don't believe. So one thing I know I want to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin participating um, in kayak bash, bass fishing tournaments and in leagues and get to be around and with men and women who don't know the Lord and we share a similar passion. So that's an easy gateway to get in, to start conversation. And as soon as they start finding out, oh, oh you're a preacher, oh, you work, you work at the assemblies place, that big blue building that looks like a hospital, Wow. And so then I get to I get to just I get to step into their into their lives, into their third place of life, their recreational life, and 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 find avenues, make ways to interject into conversation about the love, the glory, the, the salvation, the mercy, and the grace of God through Christ Jesus. So we need to we need to make those things happen. Okay, so I'm gonna move really quickly here um, through Four observations, four, four kind of points, nuggets you want to pull out of here. Some of these are questions, others are statements, but here we go, the first one. Uh, Buzz, my hero, we can go number one, um, which I've already mentioned. We are entrusted, we have been entrusted with preaching the gospel and making disciples. I'm going to read through, kind of spitfire these scriptures. If you don't get these written down, uh, just ask me for the notes later and you can get them down. But what I want to share with you from scripture, the Apostle Paul and the Gospel writer Matthew, these people seem to believe that God has entrusted us with the gospel. So the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the, the age. Teach them to observe my commands. What does observe mean? It doesn't mean just look at them on a wall, on a plaque. It means to hear them and do them. In the Old Testament, whenever you see, hear the word of the Lord, what that means is not, it doesn't mean just listen. It means when you hear it, the instructions you hear, go and do it. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit himself 
bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we're children, then we're heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we also suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So God is making us not only children in his kingdom, but he's making us heirs to what he has. He's saying, what is mine is now yours. 1 Timothy 1.11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, Paul is saying, the gospel has been entrusted to me. Next. On the contrary, in Galatians uh, 2.7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Now, you will, you will be entrusted with a different measure of carrying out the gospel than I am, and I will have a different level and a different category and a different people to reach than you will, just as, just as uh, Paul did in, in comparison to Peter. Paul was saying, God has told me to preach the gospel to Gentiles, preach the gospel to people who haven't even heard about God yet, but Peter has been called by Jesus personally and specifically to feed his sheep, feed his lambs, tend to his sheep, to speak to and to teach, uh, teach God's people about Jesus. And so just as in the, in, the, in the parable of the talents, the master divvied up different amounts of talents to people, five talents to one, two talents to one, and one talent to one, based on what? Based on their ability. God isn't looking at you and saying, Every single one of you, you need to be a Billy Graham, flat and simple. Why are you not in a stadium preaching the gospel yet? God's not doing that. God gave Billy a thousand talents. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 2.4, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Next, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And that was it, right, Buzz? Yep, thank you, sir. So you and I have been entrusted with the gospel, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel in whatever ways we can. We can't always wait for opportunities. Sometimes we must create them. If you did not know that you were entrusted with the gospel, that God has said, now that you're in my family, now that you are an heir of my kingdom, you have to care for it just like I do. You have to share it with others just like I do. You have to invite other people into it just like I do. If you did not know that before, you know it now, and now you're accountable. You're welcome. Number two, the faithful are obedient and the wicked are disobedient. That's true in these stories, that's true in the parable, and that's true in real life. So God views those who are faithful. Are you, are you faithful? How do you know that you're faithful to God? You're obedient to God. You're obedient to his current commands, to his current word. Uh, you're obedient to live how he has set and designed for us to live. Um, how do you know if you are wicked? You're disobedient. You, don't, you know what he wants you to do and you don't do it. Or you don't know what he wants you to do and so therefore you can't do it. So it's really black and white in that sense with God. Either you're faithful or you're wicked. Either you're obedient or you're disobedient. Uh, we see that playing out um, 
here, uh, as far as the faithful are concerned, what does God say about the faithful in Matthew 24? Blessed is the servant whom the master will find so doing when he returns. Find so doing, if you don't recall what that is from back there, the master said, hey, here's, uh, here, here are my possessions. I'm leaving. I'll see you later. I'll come back and we'll see what you've done. So they were busy about the, king, the work of the kingdom. And he calls them blessed. And then in the next verse, if we can buzz, uh, the wicked in that same teaching, but if the, the wicked servant says, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants, and he eats and drinks with drunkards. This eating and drinking doesn't necessarily mean you're always, like, like the activity of eating and drinking with a drunkard isn't the sin, it's the association. It's the when people see you and know you, do they, do they know you as a Christian, or do they know you, um, you know, as a bar hopper, as a brawler, as a thief, as a liar, how do they know you? That's what, that's what he's referring to here is the wicked um, are not known as believers. They're not known as, as righteous and truth tellers and full of grace and full of mercy and truth. And something that I'm going to include, I'll, I'll include this later, I'll read this at the end. So it's that black and white, it's that simple. If you're faithful, you're obedient. If you're wicked, you're disobedient. Number three, Jesus will return. This is a statement of truth, a statement of fact. Unfortunately, we don't know the, the, the time, the day, or the hour. But what we do know, um, if we can see next here, is that the faithful anticipate his return. The wicked anticipate his delay. Maybe you know, maybe you believe, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Back in the 80s and 90s, I thought it was tomorrow. We've, we thought for sure he was coming back within the next week. I took out my pension. I canceled all my savings. Uh, I didn't need it. I didn't need any of that stuff. Jesus was coming back. That was the urgency that, that, that the church had um, not that long ago, a couple decades ago. Now, those actions obviously were not necessarily wise. But that was the urgency. That was the, not only do we believe this, but it's happening right now. But the wicked say in their heart, well... He's, he's coming back, but it's probably not going to be for a long time. And then all kinds of actions can come out of that attitude. Fourthly, lastly, we will face either reward or punishment when Jesus returns. That's cut and dry as well. There isn't going to be this gray area where, well, there's, you know, there's some people that are hanging out in this purgatory place that God's kind of iffy. He's not quite sure what to do with them yet. Like they were mostly good people, but they didn't go to church or they went to church and they were really kind of jerks and mean to people. And there's just kind of these people in the middle that, you know, God, maybe God will flip a coin and, and decide or maybe we can pray them out of there. And, and they were really bad, but, you know, there's all these conjectures that we can make and all these assumptions. But it's pretty black and white. Jesus makes this black and white for us. There's either reward or punishment. And for the believer, and it's interesting, um, I'll, let you, I'll let you do your own research, um, and, you know, talk further with myself or you know, Pastor Matt, Felicia. Um, scholars kind of go back and forth about this too, but in the context of Jesus sharing this, he is talking to his disciples. And in the context of these parables, um, it is a master and his servants, not a master and another master's servants. Um, so there is, there is some idea out there that Jesus is exclusively speaking to Christians here or to, to followers of Jesus, those who are already in the kingdom, 
Um, I'm, not, I'm not here declaring that, but it just from the reading of it, from the, the, the face value of the English translations of it, um, without any other context than that, that's what it seems like. But that is for sure. So the reward, we, we have seen these. Blessed is a servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. And then in the parable, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, for you've been faithful over little, I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice how that will contrast with the wicked, uh, with the punishment. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's very black and white. It's very stark in contrast. And in for the passage for next week, Jesus is going, to, he is going to continue on this thought. And I'm going to piggyback. Matt read this last week. I'm going to read it again this week. So next week will be the third time that we will have heard and read through this passage for next week. But it's just, Jesus says there's going to be a gathering of all people. He's going to separate the good from the bad. And then there's going to be reward and punishment. So in Matthew 25, starting verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. What a picture. Before him there will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed as used in, in previously in Matthew by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for me from the foundation of the world but to those on his left uh, he will say depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels I want to read from James chapter 2 as we draw near to our close here. We can have um, musicians come. So James chapter 2. So this, this it's kind of a, it's a hard thing to hear um, from Jesus that if you're, if you're sitting there, one of his disciples, and he's explaining this to you, even, if, even when we hear it now, uh, 2,000 years later, that, that if we're not caring for the kingdom the way that Jesus cared for the kingdom, that there's potential punishment for that. Thankfully, you are alive. And I know that because you're sitting here looking at me. Unless you're dead and you're playing alive, that would be a awkward but you're still alive. And if you haven't been sharing the gospel, if you haven't been making disciples, there's still time to change that. There's still time to do it. Well, how do you do it? Some of you might be thinking, well, I have, Travis, I have faith. My faith saves me. Faith alone. The Apostle Paul saying, it is by faith alone in Christ that we are saved, and he is right because that is true. But Jesus and others, including, including Paul and other gospel writers, including James, where we're going to read from, they're saying, they're going to say that, yes, it's, it's faith. God has made it so that faith saves you, but works justify you. What you do makes you justified before God. Your, what you do validates your faith and what you believe. So, you know, James is gonna, is gonna highlight this in a moment, but some of you may be thinking, well, Travis, I have my faith. It doesn't necessarily matter what I do, to which scripture and the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, is saying, yes, it does matter. 
You see, he hasn't called us into his kingdom just for us to lay around in the pools eating grapes in his kingdom all day, but he's, he's called us into his kingdom, one, because he's created us and he, and he loves us. Two, but because he wants to use us. He wants to work in us and through us, just as, as Paul explained in there, that God is making his plea through us to other people. Because people can see the change in our life. God, people can see the work of God in our lives, and then we can tell them about it. Then we can invite them into his life. We can invite, invite them into his change. But here's what James says regarding the issue of, well, I have faith. I don't know if I necessarily need to do anything. Or there's some of us too that were like, man, all I do is work. But maybe your faith has dropped. Maybe your belief and your anticipation of his return and just you're losing faith because you've worked so hard. We need to do both. We need to, we need to pair them together. So in, in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, 14 through 26, I'm just going to read through this and then we'll, we'll close with, with some response time. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see, that, uh, you see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab a prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now maybe James got this from Jesus because... They were half-brothers and they grew up in the same house. And then James spent some time away from the ministry of Jesus and after Jesus ascended back to heaven, James, his faith was ignited and reignited. So he probably caught up on some of this imagery and lingo from, from his brother, um, the Lord and Savior of the universe. And he was communicating the same thing that Jesus was communicating. Have faith. But man, we have to do something with it. How terrible would that be for an individual and for a body of believers, for a church, to not share the gospel, to not disciple people? So here, here, here's what I want to ask for you today. Wherever you're at mentally, emotionally, wherever you're at thinking through any of these, these things that you've seen or heard today, um, I have one or four kind of uh, responses that I want to ask you for. The worship team is going to play through a song um, and 
we'll stand, we can worship, but I want you to think through doing one or more of these responses and just giving some kind of physical, physical response, physical sign of just kind of things going on inward. So first um, is for salvation. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching and you have not, you've not committed your life to Jesus. You have not given up your own life and asked Jesus to, to pull you into his. Uh, you have not received or experienced salvation yet. Today is your day. You don't know when he's coming back. Maybe it is three o'clock this afternoon. It, it could be. But you don't know, so don't delay. Don't be like the wicked servant. Don't delay in your thinking about when he's going to come back, thinking, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus on Easter because that just feels or seems right. Don't wait. Do it now. And all you have to do, you just have to, you have to believe and you have to confess. You just have to say it. So by physical response, once we stand and begin to worship, if you just want to just raise your hand in the air and, and you can even whisper it so no one hears you if you're embarrassed about it, and just say, and just say Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are my Savior. I believe that, that you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. I believe and receive his salvation, your, your whole heart and your whole life, your, everything about your whole eternity is going to change. Secondly, um, also with a, a hand raised, commit to yourself and commit to God that you're going to live a life of both faith and works. That you're going to find a way to share the gospel. You're going to make a way to make disciples. You're not just going to wait for the church to host a program. You're not just going to wait for an event to come up where you can, where you can volunteer, but you're going to find it. You're going to do it. You're saying, God, I'm making a commitment today. Second, uh, thirdly, um, is for repentance. So you can just symbolize that by holding your, ha- your hands out like this. Just holding them down, holding them down low. Repent for inactivity and apathy. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, wow, God wants me to share his gospel. God wants me to share Jesus with people. I've, I've never even done that. That's so frightening. That's okay. But just, just repent. Just tell God you're sorry. Tell God that you didn't realize, that you didn't know how, how important it was for you to do what he does, for you to do what he did, for you to share the gospel. Just, just repent for that. And then lastly, also with hands down like this, ask God to baptize you in his spirit. Jesus talked about spirit baptism, or scripture talks about spirit baptism. God will baptize you with the spirit. When you're saved, you receive the spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and lives inside of you. But there is a baptism, just like a baptism in water. God will will pour out his spirit on you, not just in you, but on you and over you and overflow you. It's going to give you boldness to share. And it's going to give you power to do it so that when you speak to someone, when you tell them about Jesus, not only will you have the boldness to do it, but God in his power is going to work through your words and work in that life and the mind and the heart of the person that you're speaking to. The spirit baptism will do that. So if we can all stand. Thanks again for checking out this week's message. If you are interested in finding out more about King's Chapel, please visit our website at kingschapel.church. There you can find service times and more ways to connect with us. You can also follow us on social media at kingschapelsgf. We look forward to seeing you soon.